Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Yeah! Woo! All right. It's Monday. We're kicking off another episode of Successfully Funded. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Uvi and Gertrude Eckhart. I think I said that right. I probably didn't say it right, but they're from Academy Games, and their game 878 Vikings is out on Kickstarter right now, doing really, really well. Uh, so that conversation is going to be coming up a little bit later. Um, if you are a listener of the podcast, you know that we love talking to you project creators while their campaigns are active. So that way, we're getting the most fresh information if you are thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign or if you're interested in backing so that you can get some insight into, into how the project creators came up with the game, some of their backstory, and, and so on and so forth. So I'm glad you guys are here. Let's, let's really kick it in, man. So, man, we got an exciting week. It's a little bit of a shortened week, right? We got Good Friday coming up. And we got the Easter weekend. I know for all of you religious people out there, you're probably just giddy. You're probably just jumping out of your seat. Can't wait for the, the thing this weekend. What is it? Easter? Is that what it's called? You're probably just dying to find those Easter eggs, you know, those colored eggs that they're hidden or the, the plastic ones with a little bit of coins there. Yeah, I'm going to be going to Aunt Sharon's house. That's where I'm going. Now, my Aunt Sharon, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but she has a beautiful, beautiful mullet. Beautiful. Just beautiful. So, Aunt Sharon, stay cool. So, yeah, so that's coming up um, this weekend for myself here. But, um, but So, I got to be honest, I'm pretty fired up. I just got off the phone with a um, uh, douchebag scenario um, where I had an intensity conversation, which I actually, I don't mind. I mean, I get a little worked up. Um, you know, when I'm on a call like that, because I, I just, I, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating because it's so ridiculous, you know? Um, but you know, sometimes you got to deal with them and you know, when they pop up, they pop up and you got to do what you got to do, but just got off that call. I'll probably get into some details later or some case studies. So wink, wink to somebody out there that I think is a listener who I just talked to. Uh, yeah, you're probably going to be a part of one of our case studies. So get ready. For, hold on. Hold on for that. Right. <laughs> So, I got to be honest, and if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know that I attempted to do yoga. I started it last year around January, and I did it for a lot. I did it a lot last year. I mean, I was pretty good about it. But this year, I've only been there a couple times in like four months, three months, whatever it is. And I'm feeling it. You know, the shoulders are a little bit more tense. The belly has not shrunk at all. So today, I'm going to try to get to yoga. Notice I put the word try in there. I'm still not 100% sure because it's, I've got a, my daughter's got a dentist appointment and whatnot. So, but I got to get there. I got to get back into that routine. I got to find that Jeff Wenzel time, right? That's what I'm finding is that I'm not taking the Jeff Wenzel time. And that's what I need. Some time for me. Some serenity now. Serenity now! Right? I got to find some of that. So um, so I'm hoping that, that that kicks off today. I mean, I booked myself uh, all week. I mean, I booked, I think, three, three um, what do you call it, routines? What, routine, not routines. Appointments? I don't even, not even appointments. I just got to go. I got to get there. I got to get there today at 1130. So that's, you know, psyching myself up. I got to get there. I got to go get my sweat on. Um, so I'm going to get back into yoga. Another, another interesting thing, I want to throw this question out there. Um, if you're at a social 
gathering with some of your friends and all of a sudden you're you know you're just in a light conversation but one of your, one of the people there or you know that are kind of close to you starts to pull out the the um they need to speak english cuz they're in america type of vibe what do you do in that scenario because man that happened yesterday sitting at a some baptism party thing right i'm sitting there hanging out and all of a sudden i'm getting the you know, the reason I send my kids to this type of school is so that they're getting an American education. I want, you know, I want them to learn just like I learned. And the whole time I'm like, why do you think what we learned was so good? Why can't we move forward? So you're saying that everybody should then learn from the 80s to the mid 90s that we were in, in, you know, to the late 90s, whatever it is. That's the best part of it. No, it's about growing. That's the key there. So when this guy is just spitting out this, you know, rant of ridiculousness and you're just courtesy smiling the whole time, what do you do in that scenario? I'll tell you what I wanted to do is just get up and leave because I just, you know, that that's, you know, but I don't want to be a I don't want to be a dickhead. I don't want to have to fight with the wife when she's like, "Why were you being mean? Why were you being mean? Why am I being mean?" I don't want to. This is my time of life. It's too short to sit stand next to somebody going, you know, if they're going to be in America, they're going to speak English. They probably know more languages than you do. You ah, oh, Serenity Now. See, I already, I've already done two Serenity Nows on this episode. Two of them. We're only like five minutes in. Ay ay ay. What a, what a Monday. Kicking it off right. Kicking off a Monday. Just taking a deep breath from the weekend. You know what I mean? So, all right. I think that's enough of me ranting. I only had a couple things to talk about this morning, but um, I'm going to get to yoga. Trust me. Hopefully, I can report back my yoga experience after taking a few months off. What I'll do is I'm going to try to pretend that it was some sort of injury or something or just like, yeah, I just, uh, I just kind of hurt my knee a little bit. And I know the response will be, well, that's, that's when you have to be here if you hurt your knee. But so let's kick into my conversation with the Academy Games boys, um, uh, the Eckhart boys, Eckhart, Eckhart, E-I-C-K-E-R-T. Is that how you spell it? Eckhart. Yeah. Uh, from 878 Vikings. Go check them out over on Kickstarter right now. Um, their board games kick in, you know what, right? That's why they're on the podcast, because they know what they're doing. Um, remember, do me a favor. If you like the podcast, go tell a friend. That's the first thing to do, right? So be a responsible listener. Tell a friend. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Academy Games and 878 Vikings. <laughs> Something that I need to tell you, baby So listen closely so you'll understand well, Alright, gentlemen, I don't know if you saw it, but I hit the re- I hit the, the red button there. We're recording now. Oh, red Wonderful. Buttons. They See make that? me yeah. nervous. Yeah, yeah, don't get nervous. It's all good. We're gonna we're just gonna record a podcast here. So why don't we start with first things first? Why don't we get our names out there and sound of each other's voices so that my listeners can know who's talking at, at what time? I'm Uwe Eichert, and I'm staring at this blinking red circle on my screen. And I'm Gunta Eichert. No relation to Uwe Eichert. Just pure coincidence. 
pure coincidence, huh? Oh yeah. Wow. Wow. Interesting. I think Interesting. that's actually why he hired me. I, it's because we had the same name, and I was the son he never had. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, if I met another Wenzel, I would just hire them instantly for my company, too. I'd just be like, all right, well, you just you have to work here. So, Well, interesting. So what are you guys currently uh, raising money for on Kickstarter? Our current um, Kickstarter is for 878 Vikings. It's a Vikings board game for two to four players. It is based on our Birth of America series, which was our one historical and war games of years at the Origins Board Game Geek all different type of games, and it's a very easy and fun and simple play game for either head-to-head or playing as teams of Vikings versus teams of English defenders. Mm. Interesting. So what, what what kind of game is it? Like, what style of game would you call it? And, and like, what, what are some of the nuances of it? Well, the game is a area control game, and it's a team game. Or where you can play 1v1 or 2v2, like Uva said. And what you're doing, you're playing one of four factions, and you're moving your armies on the board and your teammates' armies on your turn to engage in battles for strategic posi- uh, positions. Hmm. And hmm. in this game, the Vikings, the Vikings invade with these Viking leaders who can unlike the English, the Vikings can move, battle, and then keep on moving if they have any movement left. And this gives a nice asynchronous gameplay feel to the two factions. Where you have these pagans invading deep into good Christian country, and you got to beat them back because these damn terrorists from the north are ruining everything. Ah. Wow, interesting. So, you know, where was kind of the, 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 the start of this idea for the game come from? Like, you know, where, where's the cocktail napkin of it, you know? It started around 700 AD with okay. the invasions by Ragnar Lothbrok into and England. One thing led to another, and we thought, wow, I, 1775 and 1754 are such fun games. People love them. Mm-hmm. What would make it even better? Add Vikings to it. Right, right. It was just so strange that our ancestors way back in the 700s thought of this game back then again, thinking, you know, we're going to have ancestors that are going to need a good game. Let's invade another country just so they have something that people be interested in. Sure, sure. Well, well, interesting. So so how did you guys meet then? Uh, What's your guys' background story a little bit? Well, Uva's been building up companies for... Pretty much his entire life. Yeah, built up and sold seven companies pretty successfully. And then I wanted to retire eight years ago, and that lasted about three months. What kind of companies? Or what I had companies? Um, industrial companies making uh, high cutter speed blades, um, high end hair cutting scissors, knives, anything like that. We Our family comes from Zollingen, Germany. And then we moved to America to start more manufacturing factory, factories here in America. Uh, sold those for quite successful amounts to Jardin Corporation. Can you uh, let the dog, there's some dogs in the background. And then also we had um, an online internet gambling company, which was very successful on NetWorld Online, one of the first nationwide then uh, gambling sites uh, that we sold to Halo Corporation, Ivana Trump Group. And then we uh, also had in the beauty industry, different industries, uh, blah, blah, blah. So 
Interesting. Build up, sell, always in a different area. And then we thought, after I sold these last businesses to Jordan, I had a five-year non-compete. And I had to go again into a totally different in industry that didn't allow me to do engineering, plastics, electronics. So I thought, why not board games? So Uber, yeah, Uber yeah, was, why not? Why not yeah. board games? <laughs> yeah, Uber was forced not to be an engineer. I, I trained to be an engineer, but decided board games were a lot more fun. Drives me nuts. Gunter's probably one of the top DNA manipulators out there and protein markers and all that. I mean, a specialist in this and in DNA origami. And what's he do? Instead of saving humanity, he's designing. Well, I, I think we're going to save humanity through history. I mean, we, we have to make sure another Viking invasion doesn't happen again. Damn Vikings. Right. And we only can do this by educating people about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right about that. So, you know, so kind of when you guys were kind of putting this together here, what was kind of the, the first moment where you realized that maybe you had something here for a game, that the, the gameplay was good? What, what, what was kind of like that first moment where you, you realized you had something? It, it was really with the invading Viking leaders. It was something that was so simple because all these games in the series are very simple games. They only have like two to three pages of rules. Mm -hmm. But it added such a new feel to the game and how the game played out. Like this is something new that the both fans of the series will love, and it's still that simple gameplay that is so engaging and interactive between players that people who may not be so interested in American history, but will be interested in Vikings, can be introduced to this great system. And to give a little history, um, we are just now we came out with our colonial trilogy. We have 1754, the French-Indian War, which is going to be shipping to stores in June. So it's a very new game. We've just been shipping it to pre-order customers. Then we have our 1775 Rebellion, the American Revolution. And we have 1812 Invasions of Canada, where America, again, tried several times, again, to take Canada. And that is our colonial trilogy. It's been very, very popular for us. Um are used in schools for, for teaching, are used, uh, sold in museums throughout America and Canada. And all of these games have 95% the same rules, and each one of them feels 100% different than the others. Totally different feeling games, each and every one. So with the release of 1754, the French-Indian War, which was very unique in how the Indian nations interplay with the English players and the French-Canadian players, the Vikings, again, allows us with just one little tick in the rules to make, again, a very unique feeling game with totally different tactical and strategic um, decision-making. Mm -hmm. And what makes this series so much fun is that the team play aspect. So a lot of people, they don't like war games or really competitive games because it's me against everybody. Right. Whereas in these games, you're playing as a team, you have a teammate, you're showing each other's cards, you're playing together, you're moving each other's pieces, you're disagreeing about what direction you should go. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it, it really brings a lot of cooperative play in. So where my wife, who doesn't like really confrontational games, she loves playing this game because it's it's more of a teamwork where you're at a team area control. So that that aspect of the gameplay has made it very popular that you can play it with an eight-year-old with an adult and they love rolling the dice having fun or couple play 
or if you're real grognard, either head-to-head or four guys just out to just screw each other over. Right, right. And, and all the games you mentioned, did you go to crowdfunding for all of them? So I just wanted to go ahead and jump in. I know we're in the middle of the episode here, but a uh, funny thing happened is uh, the uh, UVs or wh- whatever the computer they were on just completely shut off in the middle of this. So um, so we had a little bit of a break in the action. Um, so we're going to pick up the conversation again here uh, after they rebooted and restarted. So, all right, here's the second part, part two of my conversation. Here we go. All right, I think we're back, right? Does it look like it? Yeah, yes, everybody we there? Are. All right, cool. All right, so we'll jump in with that question here. So so you guys have mentioned a, a bunch of games here. Uh, how many of those games did you actually go to crowdfunding for? This is our fifth one, and we crowdfund roughly maybe half to a third of our games, and we usually limit them to games where we're really adding a lot of components, miniatures. They have a lot of novel ideas in them. Right. And and the crowdfunding helps us tremendously with from a marketing standpoint, number one, but also to help fund the tremendous mold costs and um, money involved to uh, to develop all these really cool ideas in these new games. So is that where you you guys can kind of use stretch goals to expand the, the game and, and, and have it go into multiple different directions? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what the stretch goals we like to focus on are gameplay-oriented stretch goals. So things that add to the gameplay. So we like to do a lot of expansions. So in this Vikings Kickstarter, I believe so far we've unlocked nine different expansions that add all kinds of different new victory conditions, new strategic options, and new uh, cool events and outcomes that can happen in the game. Well, and even entire ways of playing the game. Um, what drives me nuts is when you have a, a Kickstarter and the stretch goals are just more of what is there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, instead of playing with A, it's going to be B, but it's still the same play. And after a while, man, eh, it gets redundant. But then there are some Kickstarters that the stretch goals actually add levels to the game and variations to the gameplay that are significant and we really like that and so that's really the mantra that we've taken on in the procedure and process that we do with our kickstars we're really trying to add to the game play content yeah and with the nine expansions we we've unlocked so far the the nice thing about is the base game is a really fun solid game that everybody will love Mm -hmm. but then we have these nine expansions and we that allows players to basically turn into the kind of game they want for advanced play. So they could play with Expansion 1 or Expansion 4, or they can combine them in any order. So they could play with Expansion 3 and Expansion 6, and depending on what combination of expansions they use, the game feels very different. Right, right, right. And, and when you're putting a game together that's that in depth in terms of having nine expansions, you know, how long are you typically game testing all of these different outcomes to make sure that the game flows, no matter what somebody does, plays with expansion pack one, six, four? Uh, you know, you know, how do you guys kind of solve that sort of problem? We've been play testing this game for three years. Wow. 
Yeah, and and we get a a large variety of people. We and we've been playing at conventions for two years now, getting player player feedback and blind play testing done, and it, it's just really a long, thorough process. Because no matter when you're developing a game, your the best ideas come with time mm-hmm. and the perspective that offers. Because sometimes you'll you'll come <clears throat> up with a idea. And if you sit on it three months, you'll come up with a new idea that you would never been able to think of three months ago. Sure. And our, and our company is a little different also. Um, our company is, we're all engineers and military personnel. So we're very proceduralized, very process-oriented. <clears throat> uh, we use teamwork uh, incessantly where everybody is on board, sees what everybody's doing on a day-to-day basis. We know where every project is. Every part of it stands and sits. Um, everything is task managed, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we don't have these guessing where the artists are with this artwork or where the playtests are with this or where the game development or the molder, et cetera, is. We're very proceduralized from that standpoint. Also, we're very trans, that makes us very transparent and also very communicative. So um, our full-time employees for the company are based not only in Ohio and in America, but around the world. And that's why it's very necessary for us to be as organized and streamlined as we are. So this helps us with the project management. It helps us going into Kickstarter. We know everything that we offer in a Kickstarter through Stretch Goals we hope we unlock them. Mm-hmm. And if we've unlocked them, this has already been everything that's been play tested. So our turnaround from the end of a Kickstarter to one we can deliver is much faster than other companies because we develop stuff ahead of time. And, and here's another mantra we do. For example, for the expansion rules and the game rules, we have those written and done before the Kickstarter starts. Right, right. Because it is much quicker and easier to remove something if it does not get unlocked than to scramble after the Kickstarter is over to get the rules for all your stretch goals you got unlocked added. Mm -hmm. So we always make sure that we have things done ahead of time, knowing that it would be easier to remove something than to add it. And then stretch goals that don't get unlocked, those are stretch goals then that we package separately and sell yeah. In the future for, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars each. Right. So But the the backers, if everything gets unlocked, which so far everything has, they uh they get it for free. That's cool. So you know, since you guys are experts here and you you guys are obviously making a ton of games right now and, and having success in it, where do you think this big change has happened in the last couple of years here for board games where they're having such success on Kickstarter and just in general? It just seems like <clears throat> Board games are as hot as ever right now. Why do you think that is? What, what do you think is going on with that? Well, it's it's a, a lot of things. I mean, the social media has helped board games a lot, and the internet a lot, because it started. Board games started out in the the seventies, eighties, and even into the nineties. It was a niche community. I mean, it, when, when being a geek was not as cool as that it was now but because of the interconnectedness of the world how it's become it's been easier for i think this the niche community from the old days 
to find each other. There's a ton more conventions now. And that's allowed us to introduce a hobby to more people than we've ever been able to before. And the, the other thing I think that really improved it, manufacturing technology has come such a long way. And I don't think a lot of players realize how big of an impact that's had to grow the hobby. <laughs> Going from a black and white just text rule book to a fully graphical layout with examples and interesting pictures, it completely changed the game changed the game for the hobby. And that really goes to being able to do that on the computer rather than having to do it like the old newspaper post pasting your layout and uh, photocopying that to the printer. And I think it's also very important to, to take an account. You know, when I grew up, um, we didn't have the computers and everything, and, and things were much more social. And now I work all day on a computer in my office. I have interaction, but all my interactions over Skype. Uh, I even Skype people in the office next door because it's so much more efficient to Skype and show everything on screen than have to get up and walk 10 feet. Right. So the in the evening, I love getting together with people mm-hmm. and having social interaction, that that banter, the the BS going on, the the just we are we are social. We're social animals. Well, board games are board games are not fun because of the game they're fun because they're a catalyst for that human connectivity and interaction that we as social beings love mm-hmm. and and so that if if and uva's right as we become more remote in our interaction with people through social media the internet just in a busy work life having that outlet to get your friends together Use it as a board game as an icebreaker to bring all the old jokes out and the stories. It, it's, I think, what's really helped the community grow because it's created a very positive community. And I think that's a big thing to stress. The board yeah. game community is such a a wholesome, positive, family-oriented community. Yep. And I, if if it wasn't that way, I don't think it would be as big as it is today. I agree with you hundred percent. And I, and I don't I don't see I don't see an end to it. I, I I think it's it's a culture. It's like soccer. Soccer is in America now to stay, and it's going to grow. And you know, being German, Gunt and I both have dual citizen American German citizenships, and the in the German society, games are much more ingrained and. It helps critical thinking, cognitive thinking, and kids that grow up with them, they become board game addicted. And it started with Dungeon Dragons and Magic the Gathering, everything here in America. And we are now seeing this culmination of this buildup over the last two decades, same like we're seeing the culmination in in soccer. So um, I think there's no quick end. And for publishers, the Kickstarter aspect of it is critical. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's the other thing that's in, in the last five years helped the board game industry because Kickstarter has allowed more people to come out with games than ever before. And the more ideas you have flying out, uh, we're, we're in a growing industry. So the more games that come out, the better for everyone because it gets more people involved. And also, it helps. Games are a technology. Yeah. I mean, before Dominion, deck building 
as it is today did not exist. So uh, the more people ideas that we can share with each other, because that's how board games are. People share their game concepts and morph it into a new game concept all the time. And things like Kickstarter are also forcing companies such as ourselves to really refine, sophisticate, and advance the presentation of our games. And it lets us interact with the customer during the game during, development during process. During the game development process. Also. Which you couldn't do before the internet. If right. you had to physically go to one of the few conventions or one of the few game stores if you wanted to interact with your customer base. Now, because of Kickstarter and Board Game Geek, we can start interacting with our customer at any time during games development, which makes helps us and everybody else make a better game. Sure. So, you know, when it comes to 878 Vikings here, this game here, was there any sort of major pivot that you just couldn't do something or, or was it, you know, or the game just wasn't happening where you had to, you know, a roadblock. Was there anything that, that kind of got in your way of, of, of an idea that you guys were having and you had to work around it? No, not really. It went, it went very smoothly. Um, our designers are, are pretty experienced. Uh, we know the important aspects that we look for, which is that, that dopamine cycle, that decision anticipation resolution cycle, the quick that everybody's doing something every 30 mm -hmm. seconds, uh, player interaction, um, decision and critical thought thinking, but then also a percentage of luck where it's always you think you got a guy beaten and all your own men run away. Which and creates, which creates um, a risk assessment, which I don't think of luck as luck. It's, it adds an element of risk assessment, which is fun. So we've, we've really, for a company, we, we have a, a strategic guideline and, and development guideline that we, we run through and, and that we, that we uh, follow. And this is also why we like doing series of games. The birth of series is a proven system. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot easier to take a proven system and make those 5% tweaks to make it a completely different feeling game and still have the confidence all the way through the development that this is a really fun game. Then rather if you're starting a whole new game, you don't have any history or play player feedback to go off of right. when you're starting the development. So you're starting in the dark. And so it, it made Vikings us a lot more assured and, and helps our customers, the people that are pledging for Vikings, they know it's going to be a good game because they've played the other games in series and they know they're great games. And, and people go, how can 5% change in rules make the experience so different? <clears throat> and, you know, I was just thinking about that right now. Let's say you go out on a date. Are you married, by the way? I am. I okay. am. Yep. Let's say you and your wife are going out on a date, and you look at each other and blah, blah, blah. That's the same game. Now you're going out on the date, and you're just going to make a 5% change to the date. You're going to put a bag over your head. And you have to, your entire date... You're both blind with the bags over your head. Now, that's a small, small change in the rules of your evening. But just think how it changes the entire perception, feel, and possible outcome of your night. Right. Yeah, it, it would make it different. We had a little date night last night. It would have been a lot different. I can tell you that. If she didn't have to look at you, yeah, I've got that problem too. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so for you guys growing up, what was, you know, for each one of you, what was kind of like the first game that really, as you were growing up, I don't know, you just, it, 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 it scratched that itch, it, it, it got a hold of you and didn't let go. What, what was the first games that really did that to you guys? For me, I'll, I'll go since I'm older than Gunta. For me, it was two big ones. Dungeon and Dragons and Squad Leader. And we lived Dungeon Dragons. Yeah. I mean, I wrote my own magic rules, our whole worlds, everything. And then Squad Leader, you wouldn't believe how many on our trip out west, how I sat in our Winnebago. I didn't look out of the window once. I was sitting there learning the game, just playing it. My dad went nuts. He goes, what the hell are you doing out there? Put that damn game away and, and look outside. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm back to, you know, playing squad leader. So, Yeah, and for me, I'd have to say, I mean, my earliest memories of playing games were was of D&D with my father. But what got me really, I think, one of my favorite games I remember from my childhood of Euro games that got me into that area of gaming, I'd have to say would be the Kalis. That, that game really let me yeah. see what a Euro game can be and opened up a whole new genre of gaming. More so, I mean, I had been playing games like Ticket to Ride and Settlers Catan for a long time, but that just showed me the next level of Euro game out there. Yeah. And, and, and what do you guys think for you personally, each one of you, you, you like the biggest attribute you've taken from board games that you've applied in your, you know, your adult life, you know, what, what, what's at that core that, you know, is it the strategical thinking or, you know, what, what do you think it is? How to play with other people and not get mad when you don't get your way. That's a good one. Uh, I need my son to start realizing that. For, for <laughs> me, it would be finding the optimal path to a problem. It's an outcome. Optimal yeah, yeah. outcome. Yeah, path yeah, to yeah, outcome. outcome. Yeah. And, and seeing that it's that's a good one. It's not all. There's not all. It's not always an opposite. What can gain me the most? Mm-hmm. And that often that negotiation, deal making, worrying not just about yourself, but seeing how your actions affect other people can affect your own outcome. Sure, sure. So now you guys are in um, Ohio, correct? Yes. So what's the gaming community like there? I mean, and you're like what Northwestern Ohio, correct? Up yeah, right. we have 4-H here. We have rodeo riding. Well, we have, yeah. But in Ohio itself, I mean, Ohio has a really great game community. We first of all we have we have cat or we have Origins in Columbus and Cabs, the uh, Columbus era board gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're I believe the biggest board gaming club in the U.S. I mean, every week they have hundreds of people get together, play games. Um, and then we have Gen Con only a state away, but it's, it, there's a definitely this, it, Ohio in the Midwest definitely feels like a hub for board gaming. I mean, you have the concentration on the East coast and West coast, but the Midwest here, we draw from such a large area that I think we get a really nice diversity of players and companies. Right. Yeah, in little nice. Fremont, Ohio, okay, where we're, uh, you know, we're the biggest city around 18,000 people. Yeah. It's 18 now, maybe maybe a little less. But um, farming community and, you know, we had Plaid Hat Games and Academy Games within 
a lousy two miles of each other. We didn't even know it. <laughs> really? We'd all played games with each yeah. other in the past. And then uh, it, it's, it's funny because so many kids, like I went to school with Isaac Vega, the, the designer of like Dead of Winter. Okay. And, uh, and we, we hung out. He was a few grades older than me, but it's, it's fun. We didn't even <laughs> know we were both interested in board games. Wow. And it's just so funny. My, our graduating class, his graduating class, I think, was like 56. Mine was in the 60s. And that we both go into board games. <laughs> it's, but guys and girls, when it says 60, was that the whole class? Yeah. And, 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 I, I come from a small farm town. I come from uh, Monroe, Michigan, which is just a little bit north yeah. of like Toledo. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. And, and then you look at that, you know, in Bowling Green, there, there, there are a lot of good design companies just popping up all around the place. But, and that is, again, the benefit of having a, a, something like a Kickstarter and stuff like that, where it allows companies to fund, finance, and and market their ideas in a way that we never could before. Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's critical. You know, people have to realize that when we come out with a game, we have to come up with the money nine months ahead of time. We're working on a very tight margin when you go through distribution, and you have to sell like 70% of your entire print run just to break even and start making money nine months after the fact. Right, right. And if it doesn't go, that's why you see companies rise and fall, rise and fall. They come, they do really well, can have an incredible Kickstarter, and two years later, they're out of business. Yep. So it's um, the Kickstarter is is such a powerful item, but then again... I think here in the Midwest, that work ethic and the low mm. costs and everything are a, a big benefit. Because if we had to do what we're doing in Los Angeles or San Francisco, my goodness, the rent would be 100 times higher, you know? So I think that's why the Midwest is a high. I'm surprised with how many Borgen companies warehouse in the Midwest just because warehousing costs us so much cheaper, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny you mentioned some of that stuff. One of my uh, newest things I've been discovering is that out of I don't know on like episode eighty here or whatever it is, um, a lot of my interviews are coming out of Utah, and there's just uh-huh. this huge pocket, and it's all cost of living and the ability to kind of get in the mountains on a weekend and then come back to reality. And but it's all co- mostly cost of living. It's like it's just so much cheaper. And I am still just an hour, two hours away from LA if I need to on a plane or whatever it might be. I could still get to places, but. Yeah, it's that cost. Yeah, it's intriguing. So, you know, I was last night. I mean, we we don't have anywhere really to go here. I drove last night to play bluegrass with some people, and I was dodging uh, horse-drawn carts. So <laughs> yeah. it is a little different. You know, it, it, it is a different pace here, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, no I'm surprised that. we can't get more Amish into board games since I feel like <laughs> they'd be into that low technology. They would. What's the deal? They thought they would be. Well, hey, there's your next game design. You just cocktail napkin it out, sketch it out, and uh, you know, put it together. <laughs> so, so, so let's flip our conversation over a little bit just to the Kickstarter that, that's that's currently running. So, what was kind of a I, let our listeners know? I mean, you're squat, you're killing a goal. You had a twenty thousand dollar goal, and you're at over four hundred thousand. So you're obviously doing very well. But what was sort of like a general marketing strategy going into this campaign um, to to get this product to move? Well, I mean, for me, it's always the quality of the stretch goals and that there's actually substance there. Mm-hmm. And and that that is a big 
feel for it's not always the bling that's important but in the end i always think that good gameplay will trump a good theme or a good looking game right so you can you can have i mean you you have to present your game well but if you have solid gameplay and your stretch goals accentuate and and uh, make this apparent that that really helps you know that's a tough one to think because we do stress the gameplay 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 the experience the the decision cycle the replayability um that's very key but the simplicity of the game simplicity learning quickly how long does it take to teach the game etc but then also we are forced by the system then also to look at look at some of the bling so like for vikings you know we decided let's get rid of the little cubes and go with miniatures Mm -hmm. and the miniatures actually draw in a lot of people that would have never tried it before because before they go "Ah, it looks too much like the old risk you know just cubes so coming out and putting the extra expenses instead of having 110 cubes now we have 110 very very miniatures the the interesting thing about that a lot of people think miniatures make the game overall more expensive but that's only true at low quantities as you as you get the momentum and you get to certain quantities the price evens out with non-miniature components because it's just that high that first time mold cost that makes a small run short, uh, like uh, difficult. So that's why we we try to make the miniatures at a level where it, we're selling enough games where it would not increase the cost of the game for the customer. Right, and that was something that was very important to us. That's that's the goal every time. Yeah. And, and I lose many nights sleeping, hoping you know that a Kickstarter will be successful. Until now, we've always been successful. But you know, you're always sitting back there going. Man, the expenses, because we started the mold manufacturing already three months ago, um, getting everything prepped. And, you know, you're talking every mold costs four and a half to six grand and multiple molds are needed. So there's a lot of planning for planning investment required to have a successful Kickstarter. And, and we, we also advertise our Kickstarters, too. I mean, we, we not and that's not just in terms of money, but the time it takes that you have to invest. You don't just a Kickstarter is definitely not a launch and forget kind of thing to be successful. It's it becomes your full time job for the next month, right? Yeah, we and have, and three months until the game delivers. Yeah, we have five people, you know, working on answering. We have Tim's just on Board Game Geek and Consum World. Um, Gunta's doing the comment section along with Kayla. Then we have Ashley doing all the direct emails. I'm doing the messaging. I mean, and everybody expects an answer immediately. We'll, we'll yep. get like 500 emails, comments, direct messages yeah. a day, every day. Yeah, that's 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 one thing that um, you know that I how, how well let me ask you this: How did that? How long did it take you to realize like that sort of man? You got to have people to just to manage that stuff. I mean, was there any sort of story around you know? The, the last time we ran a campaign, we had all this and we weren't prepared or were you, you always know, kind of set up to do this? 
No, no, we, we've learned a lot. Um, during our past campaigns, you know, we concentrated on messaging, board game geek, etc. And we didn't really concentrate on the comment section that much because it's focused on answering all the questions and the updates instead of giving dr- responsive directly to an individual, we would address their question in an update. Right. Um, now we, we've learned that the direct response is uh, preferred for the customer rather than it being addressed in an update for everybody. So out of the hundreds of comments that you get in the comic section where there's just, you know, things going back and forth, no matter how often we say, please message us directly so that or, we can keep your comments and responses all together for your account. Or look at the FAQ. I mean, I'm always amazed at how many people there, we, I think right now have nine FAQ yeah. things. So there's not many of them, <laughs> but uh, we, we have people ask every day, things are answered in the FAQ. And, and so I'm just, uh, and we have to do, we have to answer the same thing over and over and over again. Right, and, right. And, and, but, but, but that's just, that's just part of running a Kickstarter. Well, no, but it's something that we did this time and every single one we're now answering, even in the comment section. And what we've come to the conclusion is, the comments all of a sudden start dropping off oh, yeah, throughout the center through halfway through the campaign. Whereas when we didn't, the, the comments kept on at the same rate or going higher. Now we're finding out that same rate and going lower. Hmm. So it, it does allow us to instantly, if there are questions or any type of negative misperceptions, to instantly answer it and try to direct the the entire uh, comment stream in a positive direction instead of a questioning an, direction. An example of this would be when we unlocked the miniatures, people were concerned that the miniatures would not fit on the board as well as the cubes. Um, we were, and if we had not seen and addressed this, this there had been comment after comment, people discussing this and um, making hypotheses. So, but we're able to address it immediately. Show a picture of the cube and the miniature. Show the the miniatures have the same board profile as the cubes, and so just to and that that put everybody's mind at ease. And that's right. why it's important to be very responsive. But I can see someone starting out with their first campaign. All oh yeah, you you only have literally seventeen hours a day. Where you can live on Kickstarter. And they might be putting their, their last two years of savings into making their, their first dream game project come to life. Right. And how so they you, can't afford to hire somebody. Right. And so you're sitting there and then people start bitching at you because you're not answering them on Facebook yeah. or Twitter or that you didn't answer on Board Game Geek or yeah. on Google+. Plus. And it's, it can be so overwhelming. Yeah. And then you start getting the trolling and the negativity. So it is, we're very lucky that we have a very good team. And our team, as I said, are all engineers and military guys. So we are very, always try to be positive. Don't get defensive because, you know, we've all been high stress situations overseas or where have you. So we're and, very lucky. And as and somebody running Kickstarter, you always have to keep in mind, like the backers have been, screwed by a kickstarter in the past yep right so you you i mean it's, it's our job to to make them feel confident that that we are on top of this project right and we give our L- phone like numbers yeah. so poor ashley and, and kari have to talk for like 45 minutes with this guy an old guy 
who sounds like he's 80 and it just doesn't make sense how the Kickstarter works. Yeah. And yeah, well, try to explain to him how to use a computer to pledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and why why do you have more than one pledge? Why isn't just one button? And what the deal with this stretch gold? <laughs> this is just a bunch of be and finally we you know, we finally have to then make it say, okay, listen, we'll do it all for you. Yep. Just give us your credit card number and try you'll get what you want. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it's like <laughs> You wouldn't believe how many people are like that, yeah. and they're coming out. But thank goodness, because, again, it's opening up not only for the young crowd, but we're seeing the age group on Kickstarter going up, up, up also. Mm-hmm. We probably have over 55. Probably 8% of our, our pledges are wow. over 55. That's great. That's, that's <clears throat> amazing. So what do you think has been the biggest change over the last few years, though, that you've seen just in terms of Kickstarters, like, like, has there been a major change from, you know, the first time you ran a board game to what you're doing right now? Um, I, I think overall, I, and you'll see this where a lot of new Kickstarters run to this trouble is there's this perception of high, a lot of Kickstarters try to offer too much, more than they know how to deliver. And can afford. Yeah, it's mainly can afford. And you see this a lot of times with first-time Kickstarters. They want to add all these cool miniatures and all these cool extras and premium items to the game. And they don't take into account things like the shipping cost of shipping multiple boxes of items to a customer in New Zealand. And they end up losing money. But this has definitely pushed the perception of Kickstarter backers of what they should get in a Kickstarter. And that, that makes it definitely a challenge for, I think both established companies and new Kickstarter um, people who are just starting to start the company the first time trying to offer something that is, is a, a enticing value for the Kickstarter crowd who have very high standards, but also make it sure that you can still be, paying your person answering all the comments Mm -hmm. in in the board gaming and in the music portions of kickstarter and including the technical it is becoming refined it is becoming mainstream you need a good video nowadays you need to follow a certain formula you need to be able to make a good profit you need to make money because you need to stay in business in order to pull through with a product ship just even the shipping getting in these thousands of backers importing the information processing this information printing the shipping labels printing the shipping labels making sure that the shipping is done correctly the follow-through the hundreds of emails and calls where is my shipping oh the post office held it got lost it's got broken somebody blah, blah, changes blah, blah. their address and doesn't tell you right so it gets bounced back and you have to figure <laughs> out what happened so the sophistication and the requirements i believe are going up to be successful now if you are a first timer and you're coming out and you want to do your kickstarter you don't have to do all the glitz and everything but then again also because of the the fixed costs that you have are much lower make sure that you don't just price it thinking that oh if i double my cost i'm going to make money i'm okay no you've got to you have to use your five to six multiple especially in the board game industry 
just to break even. Mm-hmm. And right. in the electronics industry, where they instantly are using a 10 to 12 multiple, it's easier for them because they're also even shipping maybe a more valuable item, but the cost to ship are lower and the well, processing. Often it's just digital download, so there's nothing actually to manufacture. Or digital, but I'm talking like the Swatch watches. And oh, all the cool you mean stuff electronics. Electronics, okay. yeah. So the board game industry is very unique in that we are selling in general. Most of the games that are successful out there are humongous now. But even I see the first time Kickstarter's coming out, they're being persuaded and influenced by these huge Simon games and these incredible games. And they're thinking they have to do it. And they don't understand the financial aspects of it. So it's very, very important to use good multiples. But, but you'll always see this. In the end, a good novel, well thought out idea that that is presented. It doesn't have to be super flashy in its presentation, but it has to be clear in what is being offered. Yes. Those kind of Kickstarters still do great. There's yes. a lot you, you see those just a a first time game designer has a great idea and all of a sudden he has an over a million dollar Kickstarter. But he does have to have the money well, and the artwork yeah. ahead of time. Well, you, some some of them, I've seen some where it, it's not as detailed. But those projects usually take, then it takes two to three years. Because most people that back things on Kickstarter don't realize that a game to, it takes anywhere from two to five years to get a game ready to publish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, from concept to end for, yeah. for, for a single user. Now, a big company that has this down, has a system down, and, and entire teams, of course, it can speed up. Even then, though, there's usually the guy who came up with the idea has been working on and the why on refining before he's even presented to be approved right. to be published at these bigger companies. Yep. So it's it's a so when you're I'm not saying you want to back these smaller projects, but you have to be realistic, knowing that it will take a little longer for it to be delivered than a more established professional company can deliver it because that professional company has been working on that game. There's been a lot of back end already done. Right. Now, don't you think though that over the last few years, I remember when we first started with Kickstarter, my goodness, I saw people just with a hand drawn board oh, yeah. and, and, and just um, cards that they have written on and they're describing the game and they did halfway decent for those days. They won't get funded nowadays. Yeah. They will not get funded. But I think that's also that that's also because there are just so many more Kickstarters to choose from. Right. Who use Glitz and already have good artwork. So I think one of the most important things for Kickstarter is a balance. Yes. But if you don't have a video, you better have some very nice artwork. You you better use the script like every movie. You know, I'm a I like romantic comedies of all things. And, you know, every romantic comedy is like an hour and 20 minutes long. Everything's going good until one hour and five minutes when everything goes to hell. And then the last 15 minutes, everything gets fixed and it's a happy ending. Yep. It's a script, yep. you know. And my wife hates it, but I'm, a, I'm one of these guys. I watch the Hallmark Christmas shows all the time. I get off and they're all the same. Well, Kickstarters really have developed a nice script line that works. So I think first time Kickstarter, people really need to look at what the successful companies are doing and follow the script. Yeah. Well, guys, I think we did it. 
think we chatted, had a nice conversation here around uh, around Academy Games and 878 Vikings. I think you guys are on to some amazing stuff here. Really cool things. So what does kind of the next five years look like for you guys? Let's finish up that last question here. Um, so what do you guys see happening over the next few years for the company and, and um, even for like 878 Vikings? What do you guys see? Well, we have a lot of great games uh, in, in our series. And with Academy Games, we do mainly military training and historical games and games that are used in schools, histories, blah, 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 uh, museums. Um, but now we are expanding into with our game systems and our new game systems that we've been working on in the past, not only continuing with our military aspect, but also going into the sci-fi and fantasy cool. uh, genres. Because we found that often people will not buy a game on, let's say, American involvement in Afghanistan fighting. But you take the exact same game and you make it orcs against dwarves or elves and boom. Or putting some zombies and it becomes, you know, a very successful high selling game. So we are... As Sid Myers told me once, he says, Uva, we take a good game engine and just put drape different blankets over it. And that's a direction we are going now. We're going to start draping a lot of our engine engines that we have and that we've designed and Such really as the birth of series. Yeah, birth of series, and we're draping sci-fi and fancy uh, drapes over it. While we continue to come out with historical and educational content games. That's cool. Very cool. So where can, uh, outside of Kickstarter, where can guys learn more or pe- where can people learn more about, uh, about your brand and you guys? Academygames.com. And we are with almost all distribution in America. They can find us online, but hopefully we really stress people, please support your local brick and mortar stores. They're the ones that really give you an idea what's out there, give you a place to go and play, and more important even for companies like us, they're the ones where you can actually physically feel a game, support them, because you know they may be a little more expensive, but they offer so much more than some online cheap discounter that flash sells a game, and then you can't get it anymore. Mm-hmm. So please support your local hobby stores. Most of them have our games. If not, let them know and they can get them in very easily. Cool. We're also going to be at Origins and Gen Con. We have huge booths. Uh, the next big one we're at is Origins. We have a big island booth and we're running, I believe, over 110 events and tournaments. So, um, yeah, if you haven't played one of our games before, uh, all, most of our events, we teach the rules of the game. So sign up for one of the events and we'd love to show you some of our great systems. That's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat. And uh, I think my listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation and, and uh, hear the insights and, and the behind the scenes of, of what you guys are working on. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. You have a great week. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. How about that conversation? A lot going on there, man. Those guys, they'd like to talk. I mean, I tried to get in there. I tried to, you know, buy... 
just it was a it was a big battle, man. It was just a lot coming at me. So hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Um, song we're listening to uh, right now is a song called Gracie. I've probably played it before. I'm starting to run out of tracks here. You know, uh, I wrote this song a long time ago. It was about a bad point in my life with women, just flat out. Um, so hope you guys enjoy it, and I'll talk to you all on Thursday. Gracie.